My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, We are here just a few days before uh, the evening when we anticipate Christmas morning and the morning when we celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus. And what we have been doing as a church family through Advent is uh, attempting to prepare your hearts for that time when Christ came, to remind ourselves through the varying candles, the varying words of what it meant to be there that first Christmas night. And we focus today, and we will focus on the word joy today. Uh, We've uh, really sung about that. We've participated in that because we want to bring back a reminder of what Christmas is all about. It's about a celebration that God so loved you and me that he would send his son, that we could experience joy to the world. Now, I was a little kid and I first heard that song and I fell in love with joy to the world. But as a little kid who didn't go to church, I thought that the authors of the song were Three Dog Night um, because I grew up singing Joy to the World. You could tell me the words, right? All the boys and girls now, Joy to the Fishes in the Deep Blue Sea, Joy to You and Me. Hey, even my boys know that song, right? And uh, only later, to uh, my shock, going to church, that I realized that's a Christmas song, and uh, it wasn't about boys and girls. And later, even later, to my dismay, I discovered that Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. <laughs> he wasn't. He was an Old Testament prophet. That's what I discovered. And, and, you know, it was kind of a shock to think that through, but it became one of my favorite Christmas songs. One of my favorite Christmas carols because for me, and we, and we sang it just a few minutes ago, it evokes the whole reason for the season. It's a reminder of why we're here. In fact, I've got some of the lyrics here uh, from the very beginning. We sang, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. You know, the reason we celebrate Christmas is that God has come, and God has come near. You know, when you read the story of Christmas, and we'll do that in just a moment, he didn't come in a flash of light. He didn't come uh, with the vibrancy of the clouds and, you know, the heavens peeling apart. He didn't come to, you know, rule and reign on a golden throne. The Bible says he came as a man. God came as a man, as, but as a baby, as an infant, as a helpless child. And when God came near, he came weak and vulnerable and dependent upon the people in the Christmas story. He became weak so that we would know strength. 
He became vulnerable so that we would know what it's like to encounter God. The Bible says that God came near, not in this thundering clap of lightning, but what he came near in is this baby who cried, a baby who exhibited need, a baby who exhibited weakness so that we would know in our weakness, we would know in our cries, a baby that was helpless so that we would know in our helplessness that we have a God who comes near. I was just reading that this morning in my Bible reading through the year. In fact, some of you are progressing through the year almost done. Uh, It's exciting to see that. And I'm in the book of Hebrews, and it said that we have a Jesus, a high priest who knows all of our weaknesses because he experienced life just like we've experienced it, the good and the bad and the ugly. And we know that we can call out to him. When you come to the story, you realize that when God came near, He was placed not on a golden throne as he would have really normally deserved as a king, but he was placed in a lowly manger, not in a palace, not in a castle or an amazing home, but in uh, probably a cave, a, a place where the animals were fed in the town of Bethlehem. When God came, he was born not to a queen, But the king was born to just a a peasant girl, a young peasant girl. And he was born not to a stately king, but to uh, just a lowly carpenter. When God came near, he came not in strength, but in weakness, so that you and I could come near to him. I think we like to come in our strength. I think all of us do. That's my story. I want to come to God with my best thinking he might be somehow impressed by that. But the story of God, especially as revealed in Jesus, our Savior, is that God wants us to come when we're weak, when we're powerless, when we're in most need of him as a Savior. The story of Christmas is that God so loved you and he so loved me that he would come as a helpless baby, grow up as a gracious man, who expressed God's grace and truth, kindness and love, that he would die sacrificially in our place on a cross, bearing our sin burden, and all the dysfunction and brokenness that we have, he would place on his own shoulders. And yet he would triumphantly rise again to prove who he was and the hope that we have. When the angels spoke that very first Christmas night to the shepherds, he uttered these words, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. First of all, that word good news, it's where we get in our Bibles this idea of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We talk about the gospel and sometimes it becomes a style of music or, uh, you know, a little gospel track or something like that. But the gospel just means the good news. And the good news is how the angel came. In fact, it's also the word used of anybody that shares the good news. So the, the angel came as the first good news sharer or evangelist. And the good news brings great joy. Now, I don't know about you, and, and I would think that great joy at Christmas time is when family and friends uh, show up and there's food and there's fun, right? There's a lot of that. That's a reason for great joy. My sons had a Christmas party last night at our house. It's kind of an impromptu thrown together thing, and there was a bunch of teenagers at our house and, and uh, a couple parents to make sure things didn't get too, you know, explosive. But it was fun, and there was 
cookies that we're making and there were games and there was an exchange and there was a lot of fun. There was a lot of noise in our house and our cats ran and hid, you know, because there was a bunch of teenagers showing up having a great time at Christmas. I mean, I hope, I hope that's what your Christmas is going to be like. You're going to gather with family, you're going to gather with friends, you're going to eat some good food, you're going to have some great joy, right? I anticipate that probably the bigger reason you're going to have some great joy is because of the presents, right? Because of the gifts. Uh, Hopefully you have a tree and you have some gifts there. Some of you maybe are Christmas Eve people where you put them out at night. Some of you break the rules and you open the presents at Christmas Eve. You know, I get that. You know, some of you have many family members around and you got to share the kids or the grandkids at Christmas. That's awesome. But ultimately, you know, we long for those presents. We long for those gifts and we look forward to that time. The original Christmas gift was uh, a baby, Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to read that story in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and it's so familiar, but I don't want us to miss the point of the Christmas story. It says this, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Messiah is another way to say Christ, Jesus Christ. He's our Messiah. He's the long-awaited one, the anointed one of God. This is how Jesus, our Savior, the one we anticipate, the one we need, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David or descendant of King David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she has not been unfaithful to you in the engagement, but God visited upon her through the Holy Spirit a baby. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what it means, the Lord saves. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is is with us. God came near. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But she remained a virgin until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. You know, when God looked down upon you and me 2,000 years ago, our world, very different at the time, but still filled with the same kind of people, the same kind of pressures, the same kind of problems. When God looked down upon the world and knew that it was time, the right time, to bring himself into the world, you know, he didn't come as a coach. He didn't come as a teacher He didn't come as a helper, although all those are important professions. All those are important things that we need in our world. You know, when God looked upon you and me, he knew that those, although helpful, wouldn't really care for the deepest of our needs, you know, because ultimately we needed far more than what every one of us could provide. We needed something only God could provide. We needed a savior. And God came down and gave us Jesus as a Savior. He came down in our broken world and our dysfunctional world and our sinful world and saw that our deepest need was that we needed to be saved from our sins. And that 
is why God sent Jesus as our Savior. Now, I'll be honest, um, a lot of us have a problem with that story. I myself had a problem with that story. I mean, I like the idea of helping. And the idea of God sending Jesus as a Savior, that's great for some people, because there are some people that are really bad. A couple of you showed up today. I greeted some of you, you know. Truth be told, if the mask were to be peeled back, you know, you didn't get caught, but you should have gotten caught, right? Or there's a deep brokenness inside of you that you've masked with a smile this morning. Or even though you came with a group of people, you're very alone. You know, when I thought about this as a child, when I thought about this as a young teenager, I wasn't really excited about this. I was actually kind of offended by this because I thought, I don't really need a savior. I just need a helper. You see, I had this plan. And Pastor Taylor alluded to it in the greeting. It was a performance plan. And, and I liked my performance plan. See, my performance plan said basically, um, you know, I need a little bit of help, God. But once I get on my feet, I can take it from here. I can do this. Um, how many of you have ever prayed those prayers of desperation to God, like before uh, a test or a court appearance or appearing before your boss or going out to drive on Highway 26 or, you know, one of those traumatic moments in life? Hey, raise your hand if you've ever had one of those prayers of like, oh, God, help me right now. Yeah, I had those prayers and they were before tests. They were before situations where I knew I wasn't prepared. And this was my performance plan. God, I've done a really good job. It's just not enough, so I need you to take over and fill in the gap. And that was kind of how I viewed God, as someone who would take all the good things I had done and fill in the gap, and then I'd be okay, and he would just kind of put the icing on the cake. That was my performance plan, because I didn't need a savior. I wasn't that bad. I mean, some of you are that bad, right? I mean, I looked at, I looked at church people, and I saw hypocrisy. I saw division, I saw slander, I saw lies. I looked at people who on Sunday morning looked good. And then I saw them the rest of the week and they were far from good. And I thought, now those people, they need a savior because they're dysfunctional. Me, I'm just a good American kid. I just need a little bit of help because I'm doing a good job, God. It just, I know sometimes it's not enough. That was my performance plan. But what I realized as I got older was that that, that begins to wear on you. Because it's hard to perform over and over and over again. And we use the analogy if we get on that treadmill of performance. And it wears you down. It wears you down. But to a person that didn't really need a savior, didn't want a savior, didn't like the idea of a savior, I'll take my performance plan. And only later did I realize that as I began to follow Jesus, I didn't just need a little bit of help. I didn't just need a hand up. I needed a total transformation. Because I came to the realization that I wasn't just a good boy that made problems and made mistakes and sinned every once in a while. I was a broken boy who at my very core was a sinful person. And all my attempts to get better, although maybe impressed other people, didn't impress God. I didn't need just help. I needed transformation. And so I threw away the performance plan and I grabbed a new plan, God's plan. It's the grace plan. The plan where God already did the work through Jesus, and he gave me a gift of a Savior if I had received that. Because Jesus didn't come down to help us. He came to save us from our sins. Now think about that word Savior. You know, if you were to go up to the religious leaders of our world, uh, present, past, uh, let's just imagine you were to walk up to Buddha at his time period, and you were to say to Buddha, uh, Savior, if you were to go up to, uh, let's say, um, 
Muhammad and you were to appear before Muhammad and bow down and call him savior or you were to go to Confucius or you would go to Joseph Smith or you, you pick the religious leader and you were to bow down and call him a savior, they would be highly offended at that because they never claimed to be that. But if you were to go up to Jesus and bow down before him and call him a savior, he'd say, you got that right because that's who I am. I'm not just a religious leader. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a good helper. I'm not just a miracle worker that's making lives better. As important as those things are to touch needs that are real in front of us, the deepest need God wanted to touch in Jesus was the need for a savior. If a person were drowning in water, you wouldn't just kind of yell instructions to them. You wouldn't just grab a manual on how to swim and throw it their way and make sure the pages were laminated so it didn't fall apart, right? You wouldn't just, you know, give them some encouragement. You'd jump in the water and you'd pull them out. And that's exactly what God did through Jesus. He rescued us. He jumped in in our sinfulness and brokenness and he saved us from death. Because you and me, man, we're hopelessly drowning in our sin. And our brokenness. And I know we look good and I know we put on our best, but the fact is, deep inside, every one of us need a Savior. Question is, are we, are we honest about that? Why did God come near? God came near in Jesus to die in our place because we are all broken, hurting, dysfunctional, use the Bible word, sinful people. And He came to stand in our place. And so when we sing that song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, that important line there is let every heart prepare him room. I don't know when you think about your heart, if there's room in your heart for God. I doubt you're a Grinch who has a heart, how many times small? Like, it's like a hundred times too small, I forget. It's a good animated thing, but it's too small, right? I think all our hearts are big enough. They really are big enough. There's room in our heart if we prepare our heart for him. And I believe when you finally come to the time when you're gripped by the fact that you need a savior, it'll change everything because you'll begin to prepare room in your heart for God. Um, But until that point, and I know for myself, that's threatening to think that I would be so vulnerable and so needy that I would call out to God for help. It's actually kind of a nuisance because who wants to be reminded of their failures? Who wants to be reminded of brokenness? And yet we all need saving. And until we come to that point where we recognize it, we'll stay stuck in our broken condition. And I thought that God wanted to interfere with my life. I thought that God wanted to disrupt my plan. And I only realized when I was 15 years old that I needed rescuing and he had such a great plan for me that I was able to approach him. And the fact is, is that God had been approaching me for years. And I believe the same thing is true for you. This might be your first time at church. This might be just, you know, your annual thing. You come on the arms of people or you come with friends. We're really glad you're here. Sunrise is a church for you. But the fact is, is that God has been speaking. But he doesn't shout to us. He doesn't beat us over the head with a stick. He whispers to us. He calls to us. In fact, he knocks again and again. There's a Bible verse in Romans chapter two. The apostle Paul says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, kind, God is kind and tolerant and patient God is with you. 
Sometimes it's too subtle for us to recognize, though, because God doesn't beat down our door. He just stands there and knocks. He gives us the freedom to open the door. He gives us the key that unlocks the door. Paul says, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So God whispers to us and God maneuvers in our lives and orchestrates a story all around us, a beautiful story. And hopefully one day our ears perk up and we begin to hear the music. We begin to hear the theme and the theme is of joy. The theme is of this realization that God has come and he's come not with threats and judgment. He's come with kindness and patience and tolerance. He's come in gentleness and mercy. As I said at the beginning, my favorite Christmas carol is Joy to the World. Only when I went to college did I realize it's not even a Christmas song. I mean, my life was shattered when I realized that. It has nothing to do with Christmas. I read and read and read and thought, why have I been so deceived? Do you know this is not a Christmas song? Christmas is the first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. This is actually the next advent. When Jesus will come again, Christmas song, that kind of song, not about a little baby born placed in a manger and a little feeding trough, but about a king triumphant that will come in riding on a horse of victory with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords emblazoned on his thigh, the Bible says. But that time he will come with a sword. The Bible says that time he will come in judgment and that time he will separate the righteous from the wicked. And in that day, if you have not made room for him, then I wouldn't want to be there on that day for you. In fact, this is what it says in the rest of the the lyric of the song. It says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Think about this. This is written from the perspective of a person who's standing there seeing Jesus come back in the clouds with the lightning and the thunder. Let earth receive her king, not the baby child, but her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature, sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. The Bible says there's a curse on everything, the earth, ourselves, there's a curse everywhere, but that won't always be the case because he will recreate everything with no curse, with no thorns, with no weeds, with no sweat. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, the curse of sin. And then he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. The Bible says he will come and subdue all nations and rule them. The glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. The author, Isaac Watts, wrote this as a hymn celebrating, anticipating the second coming of Jesus There's a book in the Bible that talks all about that. It's the last book in the Bible called Revelation. And if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you'll get there in a week. You'll get there and you'll read through this incredible story of Jesus' second coming. About how he comes and the bowls and the seals and the dragons and the horns and the serpent and the beast and all that wild stuff shows up. And finally he comes. But you know how Jesus starts that book? He starts it with an invitation to come. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he says this, look, pay attention. I stand at the door and knock. I don't beat it down. I don't scream. I don't force my way in with a battering ram. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, 
I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. When you think about your Christmas table, you think about the meal maybe you're preparing, the home you'll have people over to, or you'll go to their home. You think about the festivities of that meal. Whatever you're going to have, we're going to have ham, honey-baked spiral cut, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole. We already stopped at Costco and got the pumpkin pie. It's going to be a good meal. When you think about that meal, we have family and friends over. We're going to actually start the morning with cinnamon roll pancakes. It's our Christmas tradition. I don't know if you've had those. It'll change your life. It really will. Cinnamon roll pancakes. That's our Christmas morning. Fills us up with sugary goodness. Just our family until we anticipate a meal when everybody else comes over. When you think about the meal, that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come down. He wants to sit down at your table. And he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he invites you by knocking at the door. None of us would sit there with our family and friends at Christmas time, celebrating that meal, whatever you're going to eat, whatever you're going to do, whatever you're going to say, maybe you're going to sing, however you're going to do it. And here's somebody that loves you knock at a door and not invite that person in, right? And so why would we not invite Jesus in? Because I believe the real joy comes from knowing that you need a Savior. And more than that, comes from actually opening the door and receiving the Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, as we close our eyes, as we humbly bow before you in anticipation of Christmas Eve and Christmas morning and the time when you first came and we celebrate the love and the peace and the hope and the joy of this Christmas season, our first Advent. We anticipate the next Advent, God, when you will come again. And between the first Advent, the baby child at Christmas, and the second Advent, Jesus as the conquering king, we're here in the middle in that uneasiness, that time when we anticipate you coming again. So Father, I pray that you would move in each of our hearts to have joy this Christmas maybe with family and friends and a meal and presents, those are all great, but most importantly with you. If we're here and we're on the performance plan I was on years ago, I pray we ditch that plan as I did and receive a new plan, a grace plan, a plan of mercy, a plan that requires truth and acceptance of truth that we are broken and sinful and far from you, but a plan that has already paid the price when Jesus died on the cross for us, that we would receive you through grace and faith. That's what I pray. My friends, as, as we go to pray, if you've never received the joy, the true joy of Christmas, I want to encourage you to do so. And I just want to offer a simple prayer. You could follow along and repeat the words in your own heart and mind, your own lips. You can, with your own strength, confess Jesus as Lord with these words. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus, the baby born at Christmas that brought joy into the world. But today I want that joy in my heart. And as you've been knocking with kindness and patience and tolerance, I reach down to that doorknob and I open it up and receive you 
as my Savior. I welcome you in as my Lord. I call you my friend, and I set a table for you, as you have done for me. And I anticipate the day when you will come again, and I'll sit at your table, and I'll have a meal with you, because you will be not just my friend, my Savior, my Lord. And I pray in your name. Amen.